Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Mudgear Hannibal Race Pro, Evan Preparis. I've got a guest with me on the line, none other than Mr. Obstacle Running Adventures himself, Mike Stefano. Mike, say hi. Happy to be back. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. My, uh, We're doing another Special Forces episode, talking about Hulu and Fox's TV show Special Forces. This is part three. If you missed parts one and two, don't worry about it. You'll still learn something on this. You can go back and listen to them if you want. If not, you can listen to this. If you haven't seen the show, not a problem. If you have seen the show, great. If you're watching the show as we cover stuff, also great. They are all good. We're going to share some good tips. We're not going to give out any spoilers, but we will talk about some of the general things that happens at the event. We're just not going to use specific names. And uh, previously, we had Bobby on, and Bobby has been MIA. He's been uh, kind of out of – he hasn't been responding to my text recently. So uh, we got Mike filling in. As a good replacement here. I will do my best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Before we get to this episode, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Yolked. Yolked does a recovery product made of fertilized egg yolk. It's like a powder. It tastes kind of like powdered cupcakes. It's kind of an interesting taste to it. Uh, but it's supposed to clinical trials show three times the muscle re- muscle growth. So good for recovery. Great, great tasting. Have you had it, Mike? Have you had tried it at any of the Savage Races? They've been out a couple this year. So I actually had it um, during OCR America 2. Oh, nice. Like an extra one. You're like, try this. And you explained it to me, and I still tried it, and it was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes when you describe what it is, people are like, uh, hard pass. But then you taste it, and much yeah. different opinion. I thought it was great. Cool. So let, we're going to jump right into it. Um, Mike has been patiently waiting for me. I just came back from, I was speaking with the, uh, my former Cub Scout troop, about military and ops, of course, racing and like life lessons and perseverance. And it ran way longer than I was expecting because uh, they the Cub Scout troops based in my church and they're on Greek time. And if you know anything about Greek time, it's just like you're perpetually late for everything, which uh, was also true today. <laughs> I'm running off of two hours sleep, so <laughs> it's been a, it's been a day of my own as well. All right, we will we will we will jump into it. We're going to talk about the TV show. Want to talk a little bit about the OCR Man, Ultra OCR Man documentary, and then what Obstacle Running Adventures has going on. So you can head over and listen to them if you're looking for more content. Because I know I've reduced the number of episodes I put out just down to two per month since I'm busy. But uh, yeah, we're going to jump right into episode seven. Um, before we start talking about that, Mike, any kind of initial thoughts on just the show in general that you wanted to share before we start? So a I do. Deeper? I usually don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, I play a lot of video games because it kind of keeps me entertained. But um, I, I watched episodes 8 through 10, like you told me. And um, just the fact that it started off with a do not attempt this at home, uh, that <laughs> that had that had my interest right off the bat. So uh, it, was, it was pretty pretty enjoyable. So I'm excited to get into it. Nice. All right. So the first couple of things are the, the last couple of minutes of episode 7. So I'll just kind of start there. They had at one point someone of the – one of the – Essentially, the selectees uh, was like, I'm going to stay back and run with a weaker person. And I've seen that a lot of times. It's typically people who are falling out of a run and they don't want to admit they're falling out. And they're like, I'm going to go back and just check on the last guy. So uh, common practice among, you know, officers or non-commissioned officers who are already hurting and want to check, want to take it a little bit easier, but don't want to admit that they're, they're taking it easy. So I've seen that a lot. I thought it was funny to see it also on TV. Um just yeah. kind of another nuance. No, no, no real it. tricks that you know people haven't done before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just kind of a, another little nuance of being in a small team. Um, 
you have to be very self-reliant, right? Because if you're in a very small team, essentially no one's coming to help you. Um, so a lot of the parts of special forces selection and training are really like focused on you and being self-reliant and figuring out a solution. Uh, a lot of times the quick reaction force may not be available for a while or may take a while to get to you or may not come at all. So you have to get to be very self-reliant and kind of think through contingency planning. And that's kind of one of the, the nuances of, of special forces. Yeah, really. Let's, Let's jump into episode eight real quick. So, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of these people are athletes on the show. And, you know, the, one of the big differences I think between athletes and soldiers is right. Athletes are used to peaking for an event and even obstacle course races, right? Like you, you build up, you taper, you peak, and then you go to an off season or you go to recovery mode and you repeat versus soldiers. And a lot of, especially in the selection courses just have to go. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's no, there's no peak recovery, and then make sure I'm fully rested and recovered for the next one. So I think that's something that a lot of the athletes on the show had to face that was different that they may not have been physically used to. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because I mean, the, the recovery practices and nutrition practices, a lot of these selection and training programs are they're just absolutely terrible. Like it's, we're not there to teach you proper nutrition and proper recovery. We're there to show that you can persevere regardless of how terrible things get or regardless of how poorly you've been fueling. So, Yeah, apply, apply that heat, apply that pressure and see if you can get any diamonds or if people crumble. Yeah, yeah. What would you think of the uh, helicopter rope climb out of the water as an obstacle course racer? I I love that. So, um, the, the you know, rope climbs, doable. Wet ropes are, you know, more difficult but doable. But doing that while dealing with a helicopter downdraft, I yeah. cannot imagine um also i feel like someone needs to teach that you know <laughs> the military dude had a leg lock i think he was just showing off just using all arms agreed yeah i totally agree yeah <laughs> most of us most of us leg lock i mean if you if you've been in the military at any obstacle course leg lock is the preferred message just like it is for obstacle course racing and that is not realistic for military training again just like the first episode it's just too expensive it's too expensive to fly a helicopter just to climb a rope. Like, why don't I just have you climb a rope tied to a pole? The the downwash while making does make it harder. It's it's not worth the extra expenditure of dollars and fuel and pilot time, etc. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It yeah. also made me think of a, an argument that I've heard on, on another podcast of uh, what is cooler, a motorcycle or a helicopter? And I don't know how that's an argument because it's absolutely a helicopter. Oh, that's a that's an odd argument. Yeah, right. I was surprised there was even a debate. It just seems like very, it seems, it's just very, they seem very different. True. Yeah. But just, you know, you see someone on a motorcycle and they think they're cool, but like a helicopter would be so much cooler. A helicopter is cooler. Yes. I mean, anyone can buy a motorcycle essentially. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Not everyone can buy a helicopter. Um, they, uh, next part of the show had at one point had a group punishment um, and, and m- most things at selection and military courses are group punishment. So you do get penalized if you personally mess up, but a lot of times it is it is exacted on the entire group. So, uh, you know, the, one person messes up, the whole group would get in trouble. And the logic behind that is just they want to build teams, not a bunch of individuals operating out for themselves. They want to build teams. Even if you have a weaker person, they want to make sure that you're grabbing the weaker person and bringing them up to their level or, or maybe someone who's maybe less competent. You want to try to bring everyone up. You don't want to 
create a unit where it's like, well, every man is for himself. And, you know, if someone's a little bit slower or having a bad day, you know, that that's his problem. So, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I also like that they um, had a punishment for someone that had trouble with keeping their, without spoiling anything, uh, keeping their gear in check and how he, uh, that person was punished, even though the punishment, which involved burpees, not good burpees. <laughs> so <some laughs> of, a fair share of burpees in my time. I don't think he's chested the ground once. Yeah, the punishment for not having your gear in check is fairly common. At Ranger School, you have all of your like extra equipment is literally tied to you. Like, so when you when you stop at the end of like a mission, they check all the make sure you have all your equipment. And people have 550 cord tangled up into balls. It is a complete disaster. I think I remember you telling me a story too of like a friend that like misplaced their rifle and like how you know that's a that's a no no for sure. That, that is a hundred percent a no no. I mean, you will you'll get dropped from the course, and if let's say they lose the rifle, they actually like it's not just like oh I left it over by the tree. Let's say you're like I don't know where my rifle is. I mean, we will stop training. You will line up like arm to arm, and you will walk through the field or the whatever the river wherever you are trying to find it right because that's a sensitive item it's a serial numbered item right that makes sense i also don't know if you guys talked about it too much um i know i listened to the other episodes but uh just i I like seeing the like immediate positive reinforcement you know they're they're tough on the contestants but like when they made it to the top of the the helicopter they're like you know like they they congratulated them they said they're proud of them and then like right back to the grind Uh, yeah that moment of like relief um did you guys have that or were they just kind of stern face the entire time for for your training so mostly stern face the entire time at at special forces specifically you actually get very little feedback so you don't get positive or negative they'll just be like okay and they write a bunch of notes down and then you just go off and you're like was that good or was that bad so if you have a nice instructor occasionally he'll give you some positive feedback but a lot of times it's no feedback and it drives people crazy they don't like it. No, that makes sense. And I know that there was also a contestant that um, needed some feedback. They, they kind of pulled him aside and gave him a little pep talk, which helped him perk up. And I, I don't imagine that they would do that for, for you guys either. No, typically a pep talk would come, and we saw it on the show, you'd co- it would come from within the team, right? So if you needed someone to give you a pep talk, it would probably come from within someone on your team. And uh, mo- there's there's not that much of that unless it's something – this is something like really bad and it's like, all right, you know, this is my friend who I've been friends with the whole time. And, you know, something happened that, you know, maybe it was not necessarily his fault. And then you kind of reach out to him, but yeah. yeah. I think the scariest thing for me in this episode was the, uh, the anaphylactic shock that I saw because I am at risk of that with uh, shellfish. Yeah. Um, that's gotta be like a horrible, cause I know you talked about how people medically uh, DQ, but like they really could have pushed on this guy. Not so much. Yeah, so this was to me. This is the first I, I I wrote down in my notes. First legit medical pull. That's what I wrote down in my notes for this one. So I don't believe any of the other people got actually got medical dropped for the anaphylactic okay. one. I would say yes, that's probably a legitimate drop. Yeah, and I and I also you know this was the first episode that I saw. I wasn't sure how far they were going to push this, this mental test. So there was a part when like the other contestants were asking like you know where was the other per where is you know where's the other guy. I thought that they were going to lie and say that like he died or something. <laughs> I really thought that, like, <laughs> the tone of the show and everything. I'm like, Oh, they're really going to like mentally try to break these people immediately. But it wasn't that, that crazy. Yeah. What did you think of the, at one point they had them write essentially their death letters. What did you think of that? Uh, I, I love that. I know that I, I did something like that 
back in you know the summer program that I did, and it really makes you uh, you know take a step back and appreciate the small things, things that you kind of take for granted. Um, it's very easy to do that. Life is busy, and you don't really think about um, you know siblings, your parents, grandparents, Yeah. aunts and uncles, um, and I, I like that they had to read them in front of, of each other and how they were they were uncomfortable with that. Um, but that, that just goes to show how from the heart it was. And I thought that was interesting. Did you guys, you guys probably didn't have to do anything like that,
your immediate reaction is, well, I got to get my head above water, except obviously you breathe from your mouth and your nose, not from the back and sides of your head. So the more of your head you pull up above the water, the more it forces you under the water. So you need to get comfortable just like if you were swimming, right, with just bringing your mouth or nose out of the water. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, it's it, it's it's not intuitive. You have to – and once you see it and kind of think about it, you're like, well, obviously that makes sense. But uh, the more you kind of stick your head up, you more you go upright, and the more you're upright, the more you start sinking. So, right. Um, they also did drown proofing where they kind of like tie your hands and feet together and you bob. Any yep. thoughts on that, Mike? Uh, so it sounds really messed up, but I've always wanted to try this. Um, and obviously, in a more controlled environment like that, I'm not going to be doing it in the you know in the backyard of my grandparents or something like that. But I think it's like it's fascinating. Ever since I saw um, the show, The Selection, which had some like you know old school OCR athletes on it, yeah. um, I just thought it was like the coolest thing of like kind of playing with life and death and like you know that's real mastery of you know holding your breath, body awareness. Um, it gives you a whole new perspective on life when you when you were able to go through it. So I thought that was, you know, very interesting to to watch. Yeah, so it's. it's I would say I, I've done, I've also done that before. It is hard at first, and it looks a lot scarier than it is. Once you kind of get the hang of it, it actually becomes. It's almost like deep meditative breathing, right? Because you kind of get into a rhythm. Yes. You just yeah. kinda, you just kind of flow, and it actually. Uh, when we were training for dive school, when they'd be like, we're going to practice drown proofing right now, you'd be like, yes, be- because no one's yelling at you. No one's bothering you. You're just kind of like these deep, relaxing breaths in the pool going up and down. Um, so it actually hard at first, but then gets easy fairly quickly once you get comfortable in the water. And it can be a lot harder if you just do another exercise beforehand, uh, right? Or if you do the weighted swim or they have you swim. Like at right. dive school, they have you bob for a while, and then I think you do a front flip underwater, bob, backflip underwater, bob, and then I think you actually like go around the pool with your hands and feet tied, and then bob some more. Okay, so there's some like exertion, and you are trying to catch your breath while you're doing that. Yeah, That's, yeah, but it's not again, it's not too bad once you get once you get down and get the hang of it. It's uh, it's definitely one of the easier events at yeah, the course. You, you use the word uh, rhythm, which the, the contestants use too, and I, that definitely seems to be the case of like you know, just bend your knees. And once you get to the bottom, shoot back up, catch your breath. Um, I do have a question though. I noticed that they were all exhaling through their nose. Wouldn't it be easier to exhale through your mouth and like release everything quicker? Or are you not allowed to do that? No, you're allowed to do that. I, I didn't notice that. Um, I feel like I usually exhale through my mouth. Okay. Yeah. That's what I would do. Yeah. I mean, so the trick is you got to exhale enough where you, you lose enough buoyancy where you start sinking. Right, because if I hold all my breath, I'm just going to kind of stay near the surface. And if I blow all of my air out, I'm going to drop super fast. But then I I don't have any oxygen uh, left in my body. So you kind of you blow like half to three quarters out, and then kind of repeat. It's almost like you, a, a trust fall. Yeah, kind of yeah. with yourself, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, let's see. I'm looking through my notes, and I don't not quite remember exactly what I I wrote here. I wrote, appreciate the quotes. I have no idea what that means. Does that uh, ring any? The quotes, no, but I do know that <laughs> I just had to say something, and I, this might be a spoiler. Uh, I did not see that mass murder story coming at all. <laughs> the mass murder story? I don't even remember that part. So the, the the best contestant in the whole show, I thought from the very beginning, I really liked her. Um, and she goes in, and she's like, yeah, I always, you know, I never felt, like, safe and this and that. And she just talked about how her, like, her family was, like, 
murdered. <laughs> it was like this crazy, crazy story. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, this is this is some real trauma. Not like, you know, celebrity. Yeah, it's like real trauma. Like you need to go psych- it's deep psychological <laughs> counseling for this. Yeah, it, it just came out of nowhere. And even the, the, the cadre or whatever were like taken aback like, oh, <laughs> you know, it, th- there's no way you see that story coming. So I thought that, that definitely stuck out. Yeah, interesting. I think we're up to the point. Is this is this the one where they start getting captured? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, um, for capture, from the military, you get trained prior. So before we actually go through like this, the actual capture portion of our training, they give us training and we do like mini rehearsals and mini practice ones. Um, so you kind of know what the standard is. Uh, versus in this show, they just kind of like capture them. And they're like, well, they just kind of figure it out. And it's like, well, uh, I don't know, like. Then you don't know you don't know what standard you're going against. You're just kind of using your own personal judgment, which right. I, in some aspects is a little bit harder. Um, however, in in the military courses, just because you are doing the right thing doesn't necessarily they mean they will still they will treat you well, even if you're doing everything correctly. Sometimes they still treat you pretty poorly. Um, a yeah. lot of the military, to me, the hardest part of deployments or military training is the uh, the fear of the unknown and. Um, I put a quote here. It says, unknown will always get you. Basically saying that it's scary, right? If you don't know what you're getting into, it becomes a lot harder. And once you, the more information you have on something, the easier it will be to actually come and face. Yeah, that makes sense because, like, the unknown is limitless. Like, you know, kids that are scared of the dark, there could be Correct. anything you could possibly imagine out there. And uh, same thing for the military. Like, you know, it could be squirrel it could be uh, a drone it could it, I, I just i can't imagine being in that situation yeah and you like i mean you, you nailed it too you know your your mind will go nuts yeah. your mind will not go nuts thinking of possibilities right it's just yeah you know the imagination will just take over and um a lot of times i i had a friend before you know before we go to ranger school it's a it's early in your career it's a it's a major career point for early officers and one of my friends before we went, he goes, if ranger school was as hard as people think it is, he's like, no one would ever pass. He's mm-hmm. like, an average day is, if you can do one day of ranger school and you'd be like, I am tired, but that was not too bad. Yeah. It's, the, it's the back-to-back days and it's stretched out over two months and the accumulated stress and the lack of sleep and the lack, right? when, when you start piling all those things on, it becomes a very painful school, but it's still not as bad as people imagine just because in your mind, you have this just impossibly hard thing. Yeah. Something that I, I took issue here, and I, I don't exactly remember what part this was uh, about, but I wrote, weird that they suddenly changed from do what we tell you to wanting them to initiate. Uh, so they made comments about them being submissive, but that's yeah. exactly what the training that I saw has made them into. So I'm all, I'm all about like behavior. Like my, my job is all behavior. That's a good point. Uh, so I just thought that was very interesting that they're like, they train them in this certain way and they're like, well, why aren't they, you know, initiating? And it's like, well, because you train them to, to listen to <laughs> the word, you know, that I found that very frustrating and that that comes back full circle later, but I had even bigger issues with that in the, the last episode, but okay. Yeah, they pointed that out. That's a really good point. Now it's, I, yeah, very good point. Um, yeah. Cause it, they'll, they'll behave. You're, you're doing conditioning. You're conditioning yes. people is what Absolutely. you're doing. Um, I, I would, I did want to comment the base, looks that's what a base in like iraq or afghanistan would look like you know the tents are very similar the containers like the hesco barriers the building that are kind of like 
not it's pretty austere. So I thought that was pretty kind of interesting that it was fairly accurate in it. I mean, it was filmed in Jordan, which does butt up against other Middle Eastern countries that uh, we do deployments to, and we do deployments to Jordan as well. So I guess not super surprising, but if you're wondering what a base overseas looks like, it kind of looks like that, but significantly bigger. It's a little bit small for uh, a base. Um, they did have them memorize a story as part of their mission. Um, like memorizing large amounts of facts to kind of give them their their backstory on why they were why they were doing stuff, and that's that's pretty accurate. We do that for a lot of our missions. Uh, we have a story that we're supposed to stick to. Um, I found that the easiest way for me to memorize large amounts of facts is I draw pictures. So I will draw, you know, if I have to memorize a bunch of facts, I will essentially draw a picture of what the facts I have to memorize. And that allows me to consume the information easier because I can recall the picture in my mind and link the words to whatever I, I specifically drew. And it's not like a super detailed picture. Like I'm not an artist. It's like stick figures and boxes and like arrows and stuff like that. That helps me remember. That's pretty cool. I recently saw something that kind of broke down uh, remembering like the standard uh, like measure, measurement system. So like remembering quarts and gallons and this and that. Uh, but the, the cover story training thing, it blew my mind. It's, it's not something that I had ever thought of. Like I, I did think about like what happens when you're captured. I just figured like deny, 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 but I never thought about like offering a replacement plausible uh, solution. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought that was very interesting. I never thought about that. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I, I really, really enjoyed that part. Yeah. And, and if you're doing it well, there's, there's evidence, right? So if I say I was doing X, Y, or Z, I have evidence of myself doing X, Y, or Z. It's a yeah. picture, receipts from something, or you know, I have equipment that's. You know, if I say I'm I'm there to do medical training, right? Like I have a book about medical training with me. I've got extra medical supplies, etc. Like like you have you have props and stuff to help back up what what you say you're doing. Um, yeah, and I, I like that they they really aimed for the specifics. Like, okay, you're out there for you know this kind of wolf. What size is the wolf? Right. Yeah. Who was the who was your 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 escort person? Who was this? Who was that? Like they had to know their their information, and that was very cool. Yeah, and uh, that's a, that's where a lot of people will falter. They'll only go one layer deep. You have to be prepared to go several layers deep, and you know, it basically as deep as until someone gets tired of asking questions. That's how deep you have to be able to go. You yeah. know, criminals use this stuff all the time, right? Um, right. I you know people will be on the corner selling cigarettes or something. And the cops are like harassing them, and it's like, well, why are the cops harassing them? And it's like, well, when I sell loose cigarettes, that's the same thing I would use to sell drugs, right? The same, it's the same exact behaviors, except, you know, in one pocket is my drugs, and the other pocket is my loose cigarettes, right? It's yeah. So you kind of like, yeah, that's how criminals kind of toe that line. Um, so, on a much, much, much lesser uh, level, <laughs> I, I have been doing something like that where I would approve, I would you know, try to get approved for a fire permit so I can burn all the, the you know, yard work and stuff that I'm doing in the back. Uh, they would never respond. So I I would burn everything. And then if the fire department or police ever showed up, I would just have hot dogs out there and be like, oh, I'm grilling. I'm grilling. Nail it. Man, that's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. That's great application. I love it. <laughs> Small love scale it. criminal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, um, at one point they, they woke them up with an artillery simulator that is that is fairly accurate. I've been I've been woken up numerous times by artillery simulators. It's just a loud bang. It gets gets you awake really quickly and startles you out of bed. Um, 
uh, for episode 10 uh had me so excited like i was like all right i'm you know i'm going through this going through this um but the, the way that they ramped up and, and kind of you know showed how things were potentially coming to fruition that's when i got really excited into the show um, so they i i did notice that they to me it looked like they were getting enough sleep right because if you don't have enough sleep you get this like droning face i mean you've seen it at world's toughest motor the guys who've been up you know at the 20 hour mark that's the face people look like or when they drunk like punch drunk yeah, yeah. You, you get that at military training um and i didn't really see that with a lot of them so i suspect they were getting a fair amount of sleep yeah or their uh for their their tv show training thing uh they did do blind drop-offs where uh they essentially kick them off someplace and they don't really know where they are um, so in training, we we do do that happens, right? Like sometimes they will kick us out of a vehicle or infiltration platform. In combat, I always make sure, right? If I'm flying on a helicopter, I don't, I do trust the helicopter pilots to drop us off in the right place. But I'm also double checking, right? Because the last thing I want to do is I get off and I start running in the wrong direction, or we're one grid square over from where I need to be. So yeah. it's just kind of something you, you double check on the way. Um, so at this point, I believe they're captured and they are starting to get chased. That is very much like seer training. You know, we, we did get pursued by dogs and people. Um, let's see what else here. Any thoughts on some of the pursuing at the end of episode nine? I thought it was really in- interesting. I wouldn't have thought so much about like staying close to like, obviously you don't want to be on a like an open field, but like, how important it is to kind of stay close to outcropping of rocks and everything when you're being pursued. And, um, you know, sometimes it is better to just like sit and wait and hope that they don't see you than like run away. Cause if you run away, like they see you and with dogs, they, they will catch you. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, really, a lot of stuff is really situation dependent. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the cadre had infrared so they could, they could see a lot further than the students. So you kind of have to be careful and, you know, Pay attention to your movement and uh, see what else. Um, you know, and for a lot of our training exercise, we do a lot of night movements. Uh, during one of my, we, we have this big infiltration mission for uh, like the final of Special Forces Qualification Course. And our backpacks were like 120 pounds. It's not, not an exaggeration. We actually weighed them. The backpacks were 120 pounds. And then... Yeah, that doesn't count your water carrier and that doesn't count your weapon. So you're just carrying so much weight, it was stupid. Like, you, you essentially had to sit down and put your backpack on, and then you'd have to roll onto all fours and then stand up. And the weight of the backpack was so heavy, like, you're, you were having trouble breathing because it was pressing on your lungs. Um, so just the time under backpack hurt. So what we were doing is uh, our guide, we kept being like, hey, do you want to stop? You want to take a rest? And I'd be like, no, no, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And like every second or third time he'd ask me, we take a rest. Uh, But I was like, the issue is time under load. It's not necessarily the pace we're moving. It's just like this backpack is literally crushing, (laughs) crushing us. And while we're, while we're doing that, essentially I didn't realize it, but we had, we were moving too fast for the time hack we needed for the actual training. So at one point they're like, all right, uh, one of our local guides, I'm using air quotes here. Uh, suddenly fell down and hurt himself, also using air quotes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're like, oh, this 230-pound man is hurt. Now we need to carry a 230-pound man in addition to our backpacks. 
in addition to all our equipment. And uh, I remember calling my medic up and being like, hey, this, our guide hurt himself. And he, my medic comes up and evaluates him. And then he leans over to me. He's like, sir, I don't, I don't think he actually has any injury. And I was like, I know he doesn't have any injury. It's part of the game. <laughs> like so angry. And he's like, oh. It's like, anyway, long story short, we had to carry this dude. Like we carry him for 50 feet. Go back, pick up our backpacks, carry those for 100 feet. Go back, pick up the guy, carry him for 100 feet. And it, we had to play like a leapfrog. It was painfully slow. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to remember that next time. I'm looking at my rucksack now. It only, it's only 30 pounds. I, I can't imagine <laughs> that much more. Weight. It's so stupid. It's like, yeah. it's it can't be good for your back. It can't yeah. be good for, it can't be good for anything. But it, I'm glad I had the experience again, because it just proves that it can be done. It's not something I need to go re-eval- reevaluate and redo every year, right? It's, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's jump into episode 10. Anything else, or anything else you wanted to add for episode nine before we close that one out? Uh, nope, that's it. All right, so episode 10. Uh, again, if, if you watch the TV show, The Selection, you'll, some of the stuff may seem familiar. They're, they're, it's inspired by survival, escape, resistance, and evasion. Uh, the military course where they pretend you're a prisoner of war. If you've seen the movie G.I. Jane, which I kept using, in, at a, I was speaking at high schools this week, telling them about my experience in the military and obstacle course racing. And I kept referencing G.I. Jane and no one had seen it. And I was like, oh, that's right. I'm I'm old. And that is uh, that movie's from like the 90s. So I'm, I'm sorry. I have also not seen it. The only thing that I know about it is uh, wasn't that the, the joke that Chris Rock made to, to Will Smith when Will Smith slapped him? Yeah, I think it was. It's a good. It's actually a really good movie. It's about female. It's it's about Demi Moore going into the SEAL program, and people are like, oh, is it based on a true story? And no, it's not based on a true story. This this film came out twenty years before females were allowed to go to SEAL SEAL training. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but it's a, like the action scenes and the the scenes at Buds are like to me it's it's good cinema for like military training. And the scenes at Sear are super interesting because the what was what I thought was funny was like the scenes that look very Hollywood in the sh- in the movie are actually more realistic, and the scenes that look realistic in the movie are actually more Hollywood, right? Because uh, there's there's certain things that have to happen at Sear training, right? You have to get captured. Right. If you don't get captured, you don't get to complete the training, right? So like they essentially force you to get captured. It's not like it's less of a game. Um, than I think some people think it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, there was a, let's see what else we got here. Uh, I, you know, with, with the number of students left there in some respects, it does make as, as like celebrities as part of a t-show a little bit harder because the instructors can deep dive a little bit further versus when we're going through a lot of that training, there's a lot more people. So they have less time to focus on each individual person. The thing that makes it a little bit harder for on our side is ours is multiple days long. It's not only like 24 hours essentially, and um, they are more violent and they can add more stress. So it is a uh, it is painful. It's painful to be a seer. So yeah, I, I did love that they you know told the interrogators that the you know individual participants' weaknesses because as you said, like they could really key in on each and every one of them, and uh, it, it was effective. I think at, at one point they they had one of their the people like stripped down to their underwear, didn't they? Yes, yeah, that sort of like really show them like you are not in control right now, and uh, yeah, they they were kind of one 
you, they can never really tell like the way that they filmed it, but one of the contestants seemed like really, <laughs> you know, like took a couple seconds to be like, really? Yep. Yeah. So I, I spent, you do, that, that is accurate. I'll say that. I'll say that. I'm, uh, I've, I've done yard work with very little clothing on. <laughs> I'll just say that. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that statement. We're just talking about the military here, Evan. Not, not, you know, not just about your day to day. Yeah. So that, that is accurate. And again, it shows, like you said, you nailed it again. It shows that they're not in control. It makes you, it makes you feel very vulnerable. Yeah. My, my uh, way to deal with that. It was, I, I always just don't look down. I'm like, well, if I don't look down, I'm not naked. So that's the way it is. Yeah. Okay. I just, that's my technique to get around it. Give me some of your other thoughts about the final episode here. So I'm not going to say too much about the techniques the prisoners themselves are using just because it starts getting into classification issues and like what I'm allowed to say or not allowed to say. Kind of... so it, it definitely brought up the, the whole thing. You know, the word gets, you know, the phrase gets tossed around like Geneva conventions, this and that. I don't exactly know what that is. It, it, was it just like, is it an agreed upon, like, these are the things that we won't do? Yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's a bunch of countries that came together and said, uh, in Geneva, and they said, this is what we can and can't do to prisoners and the way they should be treated, essentially. Okay, that's what I figured. Um, it also was very interesting to me. Um, umpire, is that, a, is that a term that's that's used in the military? No, we don't use that. That's that's a, that's a not, we don't use that term, no. Okay. And why the holy hell, and this isn't really too much of a spoiler, why didn't it show his face? Do you think he was, like, active duty? I think it said it, but I, I don't recall why they they kept it. It was, like, very mysterious. Yeah, I think he's he's either active duty or he's a contractor that works in the schoolhouse of one of these programs. Uh, right? So he can't he can't divulge his, you know, who, what, exactly who he is because then he theoretically could be targeted or um, et cetera. So probably a good call uh, it may also have been done to add to the drama but it's probably it's probably legitimately a good idea to probably keep his, his face hidden okay that makes sense and with then, a lot with a lot of that stuff i think of when i was in iraq what i would have done to find some of the bad people so i understand the trepidation or the concern with kind of sometimes exposing uh your links and some of your background so right okay yeah. And then, you know, you can't really talk about, like, what, what you went through, but, like, how how difficult was it to learn how to deal with interrogation, like, in your training? I think, like I said, they give you a lot of reps ahead of time. Um, and it's hard. It, it's, it, it is hard because there's no, like, right answer. There's some, yeah. like, suggested techniques, and you have, a, like, a bunch of techniques to choose from. And what also makes it hard is the instructor's, just because you do the right technique doesn't mean the instructor's going to be like, great job. Let's right. get you out of here. Like, they'll just keep pressing on you. So you're like, uh, should I switch to a different technique? Should I keep with this one? So sometimes it's a little bit challenging. But they did, unlike the show, they did give us training ahead of time. Um, versus, like, in the show, it just kind of felt like they threw them in. And then at one point, again, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but at one point they dropped someone, and I thought it was really weird. Agreed. Yeah, I just thought that was really like, if you're not giving him any training, like, how is he supposed to know how he's supposed to behave? And uh, to me, I didn't think that he did, that person uh, deserved to get dropped that late in the show. I I completely agreed as well. Um, I know that I, I wrote down like one of the jokes that he wrote, you know, that had to do with stilts, and I thought it was very funny. And um, there's that kind of he, there was some like disrespect, this and that, but like when you're not 
you know, really told how to react. And then, you know, he changed tactics and, and things got better. And then before they got worse again. Right. Um, and then I also found it very interesting, like the misdirection by one of the contestants of like, are you drinking coffee? Is it time for coffee? Like relaxed type questions. I'm not guilty of anything. I have no worry. You know, I have no reason to be nervous right now. I'm asking regular people questions. And I thought that was very interesting to see. Um, yeah. With one of the contestants. Yeah. That's good. Good observations. Good observations. Uh, I have a quick question for you. Um, Dude. What would be the worst sound that you would have to listen to for torture? Um, so they played Baby Shark at World's Toughest Mother. That's <laughs> my workday music. I work with kids. It does nothing to me. Um, yeah. I, I think I have one for myself, but w- what, what would be one for you? Um, I, I don't know. It does, I, the sound stuff never really bothered me. Like, I, I've... I've list, I've had babies playing crying on repeat, and uh, they they have a bunch of songs that they like to play. Like they're very anti-war songs. I think a lot of them are from the Vietnam era right. um, that they would play on repeat at Sears School, and they're just kind of annoying. It's just the, the repeating sounds never really bothered me too much, um, and it, I was so tired at some points that it it was like oh cool, and I just went to sleep anyway, right? Or or tried to go to sleep or. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember hearing stories of um, you know some musical artists finding out that their songs were used for torture, and they got pretty <laughs> angry about that. But for me, I think the song "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" because her voice just goes right through me, and I can't just imagine listening to that on repeat. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, the with the, with this type of process, the the reason we do it again is. It's the whole reason selection exists is because you need to have the physical capabilities, but you also need to have the psychological capability and the ability to deal with the unknown and the ability to deal with circumstances that you have sometimes have little or no control over. Um, that's the reason they do a selection instead of just doing a physical fitness test, right? Because they're, I mean, if I wanted to do just do a physical fitness test, I would grab like the top people from World's Toughest Mudder and the top people from the GoRec Games and be like, well, you're an now soldiers because... You are clearly the fittest of the group, yeah, yeah. But it's a lot more than that. It's a lot team teamwork and yeah, you know, all, all the psychological stuff. So uh, yeah, that's kind of why why it exists. And the other thing I, I kind of wanted to share is that you know for this and for the TV show, the selection at the end of it, it's like we did it, we made it. When you're actually in the qualification course, this was for me. They changed the order of things all the time, but this was after. Uh, let's see, we did six months of language, we did two months of small unit tactics, then we did SEER. So a lot of the stuff you see uh, was about eight months into our training pipeline. And then it's like the weekend after we graduated SEER, I went back into a different training thing on Monday. Right? Like I just mm-hmm. jumped right back into it. Uh, it was the the mission specialty portion. So I went back into like, I did a classroom a lot for the next phase, but it was three months. And then we also did field training and then another month of a final exercise. So this is, it's just one more step of a 14 month training pipeline or 20 month or longer than that, 26 month if you're a medic. So um, a lot. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of, uh, you know, not getting that like, you know, good job and attaboy. I, I think I saw videos and I don't know if this is actually what happens, but like when you get a, a pin or whatever, do they like, Gently put it on your shirt and then like smash it into your chest. Is that like a real thing? Oh, blood wings. Yeah, yeah, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, you never heard of blood wings? I, oh. No, I, 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 I have. I, I didn't realize that that's what they were called. It's a, it's yeah, a... blood. So blood. It's typically 
So with special forces, you get a patch, and ranger school, you get a patch. So there's usually not blood patches, although you could like jam a pin into someone. Uh, but blood wings in general. So it's usually at airborne school. That's typically where it's done most frequently. Sometimes it's done at air assault school. So when they they put your pin on your chest, uh, they will put it on without the backing, and then they they punch it essentially. So the the needles of the pin go into your chest. Okay. And it sounds worse than it is, right? Because your uniform's fairly thick, and depending on what pocket they put it on, a lot of times the pins don't actually go very deep into like it. It leaves a mark, but it's not like it's not like bearskin blood wings, which would be terrible. Okay, that that's kind of how I always envisioned it. I'm like, that's yeah. that's un- unusual. <laughs> and there are, I'm I'm sure there are places that do like bear squint, bearskin blood wings. I've never seen it done. Um, I've seen it done, and I've had it done like where it's like through the uniform, and it's like yeah. Like that pinches it yeah. pinches just like getting a needle right uh but it's not it's also not probably not very sanitary i'm sure that that's what i was thinking but the, the thickness of the uniform definitely it definitely makes it a lot better yeah okay. yeah so yeah good question good question all right i think that kind of wraps up the uh the tv show special forces um i thought it was entertaining i thought it was good you know what did yeah. you think i i liked it um I also noticed some like medical things. I, I recently just got you know recertified with CPR. And it was kind of funny seeing the you know them tap him on the shoulder and say like "Are you okay?" Which is like, exactly <laughs> how they showed it in the training. But I just wanted to harp on the whole like the whole ass backwardsness of the whole stay quiet and lie through everything. Stick to your story. Wait for backup. Oh wait, right before you think you're gonna die, uh, tell them that you work for the military. Just like how are they supposed to know? I feel like the the box thing could have been torture like a threat i feel like it, maybe if it was something more clear like indicating death like a fake gun or a fake guillotine or something where they know like oh this is the end this is where i really have to say something um that bothered me and, and then also like one contestant was in the box by themselves then the next time two contestants were in the box themselves and they got to communicate with each other like that also wasn't you know fair i guess if you want to really like assess each person uh each, each person's ability yeah, no, I, I, yeah, those, there's some, I agree with some of those observations. It was kind of weird. And I, I wonder how much was done off camera. Like, all right, now yeah. when we open the box, just tell them, like, we're going to do a bunch of close-ups of your face, and then I, here's what I want you to say, yeah. you know? That's a good I, point. I wonder how much of that. Me and Bobby were talking about that last time, how, like, so, more of the show is scripted than we think. Yes. Um, and they make them redo shots to make sure they get the perfect angle and re-say things that, you know, make sure the right person's in the shot or that we get the right reaction. So. Yeah. I, I did like that for the, um, what is it? The, the people that were, you know, interviewing and all that, all that, like they weren't just the stereotypical people you would expect. There's that one, there's one person that you, you wouldn't really expect to be intimidating. And uh, that person was very intimidating. And I thought that was like really cool to show that, um, you know, it's not always size. It's just kind of how you uh, carry yourself. That's, that's intimidating. Yeah. Attitude, how you carry, yeah. And there, there was, there was some of the bigger people were not the worst people. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's here, and some sometimes they were though. So it's, it's, yeah. There's a lot more that goes into it than just size or just uh, appearance. Yeah, and, and then seeing the flashbacks of like what the final contestants did to finally get them to where they got, it kind of made me interested to to watch the rest of the episodes. Um, I won't because I don't think I have the time for it, but that the thought was there, so. It seemed like a very entertaining show, and I, I liked 
I liked how it ended. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned earlier, I were, I watched it on the treadmill. That's why I primarily watched it. I was doing some off-season training and just I'd watch an episode for a run. And then next time I ran, I did a different episode. And that's how I worked my way through the season. Yeah, that's how I am. I don't have a, a treadmill yet, but I have a elliptical that I got for free. Um, nice. which that's how I watched all of the world's toughest motor coverage since I missed it last year. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> but for a good reason. For a yes. good reason. Yes, of course. So, speaking of your life and what's what's been going on, give us uh, some updates from Obstacle Running Adventures, your podcast, yes. and kind of what what you've been doing, what you got going on, and what we have to look forward to. We had uh, probably the biggest guest that we've ever had on the show for our own episode. We had uh, Des Linden on the show. Legends uh, marathon, yeah. She, um, her agent reached out to us, which I thought was crazy because, like, <laughs> we're not taking over the world with our show. Um, but we got her book in advance, and, and she came on the show, which was awesome. And that's and, that's what you teased last time you were on, wasn't it? Is yes, it not? yes, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And uh, I had the book I showed you when we weren't recording, and uh, that was pretty big. But getting back to what the show's all about, you know, obstacle course racing. Uh, there's the the Savage 3K series, which is interesting and then the the savage point series which i'm very interested in uh so this weekend there's two big events happening I'm hoping to have uh, some podium people on for the next couple episodes and uh just you know finding some more people in the ocr community and really enjoying the show and uh yeah staying staying weekly it's <laughs> it's tough but we haven't missed an episode and since we started in 2017 which is Long time ago. No, That's a long time. You're better. You're a better man than I am. That's I. I can't handle that. That's... Or just misplaced priorities. I don't. I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the two episodes a month even still feels like I still feel like I'm barely, uh, barely hanging on sometimes. But I've got a decent number built up uh, for the next two months. I gotta get. I gotta go on vacation in July, so I'm trying to prepare ahead of time. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um. Also wanted to point out that our Ultra OCR Man documentary has officially dropped. It is if you go to the teamstrengthspeed.com or ultraocrman.com website, you will see links to it everywhere. So plastered everywhere. It's a ten dollars order and it's a twenty-four minute documentary. It's got a bunch of footage that you've never seen before, right? So it covers OCR mill twenty-one thousand feet, covers parts of OCR America too. Covers a bunch of interviews we did talking about like the psyche of ultra endurance obstacle course racing. Uh, Bobby Ross did a great job. Mike's in it. Mike's any any thoughts? Anything you want to add to the the doc? Yeah, so I was I was lucky enough to to see this uh, months ago, and uh, I did the most selfish selfish thing imaginable. I watched it, and I I'm like oh, it'd be fun to see like how many times I'm in it, and I like tallied myself. I can't <laughs> remember how many, but it was like it was a lot. And uh, I, I highly recommend it, not only because I'm in it, um, but it's really well done. Everything, uh, you know, Bobby Ross touches uh, with his, uh, you know, camera is, is, is just magic. So, um, yeah, highly recommend it. I, I enjoyed it. I watched it. I watched it twice already. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I, again, I really recommend it, obviously, also. Um, if you want to see more content like that, please pick up a copy, because if that... If that does well, we will continue to produce digital content. If that does not do well, I will have a lot of trouble convincing Bobby to do anything digital again uh, with me. So yeah, I mean, so it's, it's just like you know, supporting your local races. If you don't show up and you say you want something and then you don't show up to participate or or you know purchase it, then it, it just <laughs> how can it be supported? So you know, yeah. put your money where your mouth is and all that. I agree. Yeah, it, it's been selling slower than I imagined it would. Um, you know, we're, we're we're making sales, but it's not. I was expecting like a huge boom right up front and it's been 
it's been kind of like trickling in. It's like, all right, maybe people don't want high quality video content. So, yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's like, this is this is amazing stuff here. Why aren't you enjoying it? Yeah. Right. And I, you know, I thought for, for me, like the, I feel like, oh, the movie will definitely sell faster and better than the books because it requires less energy, less effort. You can just kind of pay and then you just kind of sit there. Right. Um, and so far, the books have been outselling the movies or the movie. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it pans out over. I, I got to give it some more time to get the word out. But uh, I've had some really good support from some of the companies that are in it. Hammer Nutrition shared a bunch of stuff and uh, VJ Shoes should have a thing. By the time this airs, they'll probably have a message that goes out. Mud Gear sent out like a mass email, uh, which is super helpful. So I appreciate them and all their support. Nice. So, yeah, I know we, we plan to mention it this week. Uh, on quick news to, to get more love to it too because um yeah it's good stuff out there cool appreciate it and this will by you this week it'll probably be like several weeks ago by the time i i drop this one i'm gonna keep this one on my hip pocket for a minute so anything else mikey we got to share uh highlight before we get going no just uh you know thanks for having me on i uh, enjoyed the show and uh yeah if you if you are interested in more you know podcast content for you know doing a thing every week and uh yeah we really love the feedback too. So message us if you want to have someone on in particular, um, had some really good recommendations looking to shine a light on some more smaller scale OCR. Cause um, you know, sports going through some, uh, some growing pains and uh, it does feel like that. Yeah. It's uh, we're doing what we can to, to shine a spotlight on community members, athletes, businesses and all that. So yeah. Hope you guys enjoy what we put out. Yeah. Same. I, I feel like I'm getting bad. I feel like the longer I'm in the sport, the, worse i'm getting about finding new upcoming people yeah i i maybe maybe i'm just being i'm lazy but uh at least in the midwest i feel like there's not that as many like new up-and-comers as there used to be uh, right. at least at least the, the race i've been to this year the turnouts have been fairly low and uh, a lot of people were like oh this is like my second race or first race and i was like oh like how many races have you done i've been like i've done a couple <laughs> It's, it's always refreshing to see that. Um, so, you know, we, I talk about like supporting your local races, like volunteer and stuff too. There's a, a race by us that I always volunteer at Boulder Dash. It's very, very small. They've been going since 2011. But every time I go, I hear, you know, I see a first timer going over a wall and like crying that they're so excited that they were able to do something so, so physical. And to us, it's just like, yeah, it's a wall. But like seeing first timers do that, it, it's it's very refreshing. And it uh, makes it reminds nice. me, reminds me where I came from in the sport. Nice. All right. Do you want to do tell us something people would be surprised to know about you? You got anything cool. good? Anything juicy we can share? I'm looking around the room. This I, this time I was not prepared for it. I know I lo- last time I had something related to video games. Um, very stuff I'm into video, video video games OCR. That's kind of like my life. Um, I just finished grad school, so that's boom. That's exciting. Yeah. Nice. All right. And a few more you know 100 supervision hours and pass a big test and i'll be a board certified behavioral analyst but it's a long road to get there nice consistency and baby steps you know you know the yeah. deal yeah you've been in this game for long enough <laughs> all right uh thanks again mike for one taking the time to come on and two uh dealing with my schedule because i i shifted the schedule on us repeatedly so i appreciate your flexibility Again, head over listening to Obstacle Running Adventures if you want more obstacle course racing podcast content, especially if you're from the Northeast. Like, there's a lot of great local coverage of the events up there, in addition to some of the national coverage. So, it's a good mix for anyone, uh, regardless of your location in the United States. And then anyone can head over to teamstrengthspeed.com 
Links for Ultra OCR, Ultra, eh, Ultra OCR Man documentaries up there. Bleg Mitt, Small, Medium, Large, Extreme, and Lighter on there. All my books are on there. As soon as I finish editing this last book, I will put that up on there. But we, I have not finished editing it yet. I haven't really started. But the book's done. I just got to edit everything. You're a busy man. Yes, I, as always. So, And, uh, yeah, more great stuff coming. Uh, Hannibal Race announced they're doing a race in July. First week in July, July 9th. Uh, might go out for that. We'll see in Lebanon. We'll see. And I also heard a rumor that uh, Tough Mudder is doing a Infinity event in Saudi Arabia in 2024. Wow. Ooh, okay. That's that's news to me. That's awesome. So that is uh, that is exciting. So I was... Uh, nothing, nothing set in stone also in that yet, but I'm kind of looking at my race calendar and... You know, just kind of, you know, maybe making some plans out. We'll see. Yeah, see where the wind takes you. See where the wind takes me. That's right. All right. Thanks again, Mike, for coming on. Yeah, we'll catch all of you guys later. Mm-hmm.